We uh, are starting, we kind of started a sermon series last week, and we're going to, but we're kind of starting it today. Last week was sort of a setup. So we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to study the book of James, and, and we're starting, last week we started by talking about who is James. And this is what, this is what we're, we're doing in this series, it's talking about the person of James in the scripture. Now, there's a couple guys named James, this is not the disciple James that we're discussing. The disciple James did not live very long past Jesus before he was actually uh, put to death. We're talking about the half-brother of Jesus. James, the half-brother of Jesus, same mother, different father. James grew up with Jesus and did not believe on him. James was not a believer. But later on, James moved, he was a skeptic and a critic, but later on, he moved over and he, uh, he heard Jesus, like everyone heard Jesus, say he was going to die and rise again. And James did not believe it. But then Jesus went and pulled it off. And James believed. Not only did he become a believer, but he became a leader in the local church. He became somebody who, in time, um, he just, I mean, my goodness, uh, he rose to like the, probably the senior leadership level it seems like in the early church of Jerusalem, over even the other disciples, James was the church leader in the church of Jerusalem. Amazing story about James. And I don't have time to give you any more background than that, other than it's just remarkable for someone to grow up with you and to, to decide that they believe that you really are their Lord and, uh, and you are their servant. But James believed on Jesus as the Messiah come from God, and he became a follower. And he was a brother, he was a believer, and he was a leader. And so we're studying this, um, his book. He wrote one letter. We may have written more, but we have one that we know of in our New Testament, our Christian scriptures. And we're going to study it because James served locally in Jerusalem, but he had a reach far beyond Jerusalem uh, through this letter to all the different people. So we're going to see what he wrote. And he begins his letter by saying, James, uh, verse number one, James, this is a letter from James a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am writing, he said, I'm writing to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers who are scattered abroad, greetings. Now, what he means by that is this, and I just want to pause here at the beginning to explain that verse more than we did last week. James was saying, by the way, if you missed, if you want to know who James was, you really ought to go last week and watch our service on Facebook Live, which is on video on Facebook from last week, or our audio at lighthousecedarlake.com. You can listen to the audio there. But um, it explains James more thoroughly than I can do today. But he's writing this letter to the 12 tribes, Jewish believers scattered abroad. What does that mean? Well, since the years of captivity, from the Babylonian captivity and the Assyrian captivity, a lot of the Jewish people were scattered and taken away. And some eventually returned to their homeland, but others never came back. And so the, the, Jewish believer, the Jewish people who were scattered would build synagogues and local places of worship in all the cities that they kind of inhabited. And honestly, just like has been true in recent history today and still in many ways today, uh, the Jewish people were persecuted and, and, and mistreated and, and they had a rough time of it uh, in those days. On top of that, because Jesus, many of them came back to Jerusalem for the festivals and they had heard about Jesus, they saw him crucified, many of them saw him resurrected or knew someone who did, that many of them heard about the gospel that Jesus preached, the good news that God is love and that God wants us back more than he wants us to 
to pay. And so he died for our sins and rose again. They heard that good news and they heard about the resurrection. And so many Jewish people became believers and they go back to their cities where they lived and they were still persecuted already. Plus, those who were believers in Jesus were even persecuted by their other Jewish relatives or, or other Jewish people. Because the Jewish people, many of them crucified Jesus, and some of the religious leaders uh, had the, mart- the apostles martyred, and they opposed the message of Jesus. So the Jewish believers who were scattered abroad dealt with uh, you know, racial persecution and in their own culture with religious persecution for following Jesus. And James is writing to people who are going through tough times. And that's important because as he opens his letter, he talks about going through tough times. Now, I don't know who here today came to church and you're going through tough times, but I'll bet that's somebody. I'll bet that somebody in this room, you're having a tough go of it. Probably in a room like this and online, somebody came in on cloud nine today. Life is going your way. It could not be any better. But somebody else, you're here today and you're going through the ringer. And you're like, man, I'm just trying to make it. And I understand And James was writing to people who were scattered, who were persecuted, who were going through the ringer. And he begins his letter by addressing that very topic. And maybe it's a topic that you need to hear today if you're going through it. And maybe not today, but maybe it's a topic you need to hear pretty soon, right? Because you will be going through it one day. So we're going to look at the first 12 verses, James 1, 1 through 12 today, so you'll know where we're going. And um, we'll have the verses on the screen, but if you want to follow along in your Bible, we're going to be in James. We're going to study. By the way, James covers a lot of topics in this letter. So every week's going to be a little bit different, okay? Today, he's talking about going through difficult times. But there's a lot of topics in the weeks to come as we study this book together. So let's start together in verse 2. James writes this, Dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way. Okay, let's pause real quick here. When troubles of any kind come your way. Now, we all know troubles, don't we? James uses a few words interchangeably here over and over again. He uses the word troubles or trials or temptations. Why temptations? Because sometimes we are tempted to despair during our troubles. We're tempted to quit We're tempted to lose hope. We're tempted to lose faith. So temptations and troubles and trials and testings, they're all kind of the same topic to James. When you hear these words, think of them a little bit interchangeably. And he says, when troubles of any kind, and by the way, of any kind, that's what some of us are going through, troubles of any kind. It could be a financial struggle. It could be a relational trouble. It could be family trouble. It could be health troubles, physical troubles, emotional troubles, spiritual troubles and temptations. And we could be coming here with a lot of different things on our plates. And James is telling the people in his audience who he's writing to, he's like, when troubles of any kind come your way. And isn't that what they do? They come your way. Like, we don't want them. They just kind of come. We don't invite our troubles Well, some of us kind of do invite our troubles, but we didn't mean to. We just meant to do what we wanted to do, and we did invite trouble. But but we don't want trouble. So when trouble comes, we're trying to do our best, and trouble just comes our way. We're like, man, what's what's that about? I'm just minding my own business, and boom, financial trouble. I'm doing my own thing, and boom, health problems. I'm doing my own thing, and boom, relationship issues. 
He says, brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, and maybe that's you today, and if it's not today, it probably will be, so let's listen to what he has to say. Because what James says next is weird, or it seems weird to us. What James says next seems almost counterintuitive, if you would. He says, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity. <laughs> Sometimes I hate that word. Like, you have an opportunity. Sounds like someone who's trying to sell you into multi-level marketing. You have an opportunity here for you, you know? Uh, oh, good. I wanted an opportunity. Uh, James says, when troubles come, consider an opportunity for what? An opportunity for great joy. What? I'm sorry, but troubles and great joy are not thoughts I would tend to put together. You know, like that's like, I think of troubles and I'm waiting for James to say, when troubles of any kind come your way, hang in there. When troubles of any kind come your way, you can make it. He's like, consider an opportunity, an opportunity for great joy. That's weird. And yet, and I don't want to park here too long yet, but I just want to, to tease your mind and think about this. I've seen that. I've seen the weirdest things. I've watched people go through so many heartaches and so many troubles that I can't understand, but they have joy that's indescribable, that other people who don't have their problems seem to have. Not everyone goes through troubles and has joy, but some people find it as an opportunity for joy. It's weird. When I was in high school, a good friend of mine, a mentor in my life, a young man who was a little older than me and was meant a lot to me, a, a dear friend, he graduated and died five days after high school graduation. He was an athlete, he was a sports guy, had a heart attack, age 18, weird. We knew his mom, and she was important to us, and we watched her for the next couple years. And I'm going to tell you, she was grieving the loss of her son, but I saw a joy in her that baffled me through all she went through. Like, how do you do that? I mean, I've watched people who have everything. They have all the world at their fingertips, and they don't have that kind of joy. And so I'm not trying to put, uh, uh, I'm not trying to explain this away. It's weird. But it's true that when troubles of any kind come your way, James says you have an opportunity to experience a great joy that can only come, the opportunity only comes through the troubles. And someone who doesn't experience that never knows that. That's weird. But I've seen it to be true in my life and in other people's lives. Weird, but good food for thought. He says in verse number three, for you know, that when your faith, when your faith is tested, does that word testing, temptation, troubles, trials? By the way, that's what happens when troubles come our way. Our faith gets tested, right? We're like, I don't know. I don't know. Where's God? I'm trying to do the right thing and this happens to me. God's not real or God's not good. We're tempted sometimes to get our faith. We're to throw in the towel, to despair, to quit. And he says, well, you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. Your endurance has a chance to grow. Isn't that powerful? Now, to try to help illustrate this, I brought some weights up here. And, um, and I use the illustration of lifting weights. Now, I, I want to make the point to you, lifting weights is not the same as troubles. And all analogies break down at some point, okay? Because most, if you lift weights, you do that, probably do that voluntarily. You probably did not volunteer for your troubles, right? So we know that you could take a problem, an illustration to a ridiculous level. 
But here's what I want to make, make a point, that some ways um, our troubles give us an opportunity to grow and grow stronger. And, and working out with weights, which by the way is painful when you're doing it right, is strain, it's stressful, it's, it's hard, also gives us a chance to grow. So here's the thing about, about lifting weights. If, if troubles are like weights, at some point you can only lift so much. At some point, I got, this is just 10 pounds here, it's not much, but for somebody, the idea of lifting 10 pounds, maybe one time is no big deal. But if they had to lift this thing, like if you're working out with, with weights, they might encourage you to lift that weight maybe 12 times in one set. Then take a breather and lift it 12 more times. And maybe three sets of 12 is 36 times you lift that weight. And maybe you're focusing certain muscle groups. So you have to carry it a certain way to, to isolate your biceps, right? To isolate that bicep when you lift it. Or maybe to, to, to work that tricep as you, as you lift it. And so they're trying to isolate it. And maybe that 10 pounds doesn't seem like much, but after 36 times of lifting it with focused direction, it's hard. And some people can't do that until they do it. And then eventually they can make it through all three sets eventually. And then once you can do all three sets, uh, 36 lifts, then all of a sudden they're thinking, well, I can't, I, it's still hard. It never gets easy. It's not like two years later, it's, it's like eating ice cream. It's hard, but they can do it. But then they can lift a, add a little more weight. They can up it to 15 pounds. They couldn't have lifted 15 pounds before that many times, but now that they did 10 for a while, they can do 15. And then more, and eventually they can work themselves up to where they could have never imagined that they could take 25 pounds and, and, and lift it 36 times with their bodies. They could never imagine they could do triceps and bicep workouts and other things with 25 pounds, but, but suddenly they can. Not because they just suddenly could, but because they lifted smaller amounts and their strength grew until eventually they could lift more than they could ever lift before by working and growing through endurance and continuing through the weights. And James is saying somehow that's how troubles work. There's things that you can't lift today, but, but in time, you'll be able to lift even more. There's troubles today that seem overwhelming. You can't carry that load, but in time, you'll be surprised how strong you become. By the way, this is why it's important that we never minimize somebody else's struggles. Never minimize someone else's struggles because those are heavy. You might think it's light, it looks light to you, but at one time it was probably heavy for you as well. It's kind of like when you go to the gym, and by the, by the way, some people are afraid to go to the gym to work out because they're afraid that all the workout warrior kings will look at them and say, look at the puny person, or not puny person, I don't know, but look at the, look at the person who's out of shape, and they might look at you and look at how much you can handle lifting or doing on the cardio machines, and they might, they might look, you, you feel embarrassed because they're workout warriors and you can't do all that. So you're embarrassed to go there. Now, there's a lot of reasons. This is a rabbit trail. I'm on a rabbit trail now. There's a lot of reasons not to go to the gym, saving money, whatever it may be. But if you go to get a gym membership, but the only reason you're afraid to do it is because people are going to make fun of you who are in better shape than you, don't be afraid of that. That's your reason. Go anyhow. I'll tell you why. Two reasons why. First of all, the people in the gym who are in really great shape aren't going to make fun of you. They're too busy checking themselves out. They're over there in the mirror all the time. Ooh, ooh. You know, they're like all impressed, you know. They're, they're not checking you. They're looking at themselves. They're taking selfies of themselves, you know. They go, eh, I'm cut. So they're not going to notice you anyhow. But, but second of all, if they actually have noticed you, you know what they would think? Because obviously they value exercise. They value working out. They saw you. They would think, oh, good. 
Someone's doing something I think is important. They're trying to better themselves. Don't you see? They would actually be, it, 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 don't be afraid of that. Because anyone who would make fun of someone who struggles with less weight that they once had to learn to carry is silly. But we do that in life sometimes. You ever be around somebody who always has to put down your problems? Oh, please, you think you got problems. Listen to me. Oh, okay. You're telling a story and they're like in the person in the room like, oh, that ain't nothing. Check out my story. Well, sorry to mess up your day with my nothing story, you know? I mean, just those kind of people who they're so insecure about themselves that they always got to top you. That's so frustrating, right? Don't be the person who looks at somebody else and says, please, that's, that's your trouble? That's, that's embarrassing. Look at, what, look what I carry around. Well, thank you very much. You know, here's the thing. The true size of, the true size of a burden is always measured by the shoulders that it rests on. And sometimes our shoulders get strengthened over burdens. But you never just, it's, it's like parents who dismiss their children's problems. It's like, oh, please, you and your silly middle school problems. <laughs> try to be me. Yeah, try to be a grumpy 40-year-old. That sounds great, you know. That's real helpful. I mean, you know, all you did was you, 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 got to, you grew. At one time, those were big problems to you when you were young, and now you're dismissive of them because you're an old grump. But the truth is, is that we had to figure out how to endure things that seemed silly enough, but they, weren't, they were heavy at one time. And then you get stronger, you can carry more. And here's the thing about life. Life's going to throw more at you sometimes. And God says, I'm going to prepare you. I'm going to strengthen you along the way. And it's going to be, and you're going to, but, but don't dismiss people carrying less because the true size of a burden is only measured by the size of the shoulders it's on. And maybe, just maybe, just maybe, God has strengthened you and he's still strengthening somebody else. We're not in a comparison game anyhow, are we? You know, you know part of our struggle, this whole analogy Part of our struggle is, like, troubles are not weights. And we're like, I want to be done. Like, can I just get to the point where I face my troubles and I'm done with them? Like, we want the Christian life to be some kind of a test where we pass the test and then everything is rosy and we live happily ever after. But we live in a broken world. We live in a sinful, beautiful, God gave us life and in his love he created us and in love he created the world. In love he gave us freedom to choose which includes consequences, and it's a mess. In love, he redeemed us through the mess. He's there. But the truth is, is this beautiful, broken, messed up world is going to have suffering. And the idea that if the Christian life is if I follow God and I go through a test of some kind, all my problems will go away and all of, all of, everything's perfect from that point on. That's just not Bible. Now, there are people who preach some weird versions of a prosperity gospel out there. There are churches and televangelists who preach really weird prosperity gospel mindsets, that if you'll follow Jesus, one day everything, you'll be healthy, wealthy, and wise. And wise maybe, yeah, but uh, the thing, this is life, man. It's life, and we struggle sometimes. And by the way, that's not how Jesus, Jesus left heaven and came to earth. His earth experience, I know he's, he's honored today, his earth experience was crucifixion. The early church disciples, most of their experience for following Jesus was martyrdom. John the Baptist was beheaded. That doesn't, doesn't speak as well at a, at a church gathering. No one's going to feel good about that. I, I'm, if I'm going to fleece you financially, I've got to tell you that just give to me and do all this other stuff and everything's going to be wonderful all your life. But the truth is, is that life can be hard. And troubles come our way not to be one-time tests. Sometimes they're there to strengthen us because life is still coming. And that's just how it is. And Jesus never promised otherwise. And anyone who says otherwise is preaching a false gospel. But through continued lifting, through continued struggle, we can become stronger and we can remain stronger. If I, go, if I stop going to the gym and say, well, ha, I once lifted 25 pounds, so I'm all set. 
I'm going to lose my ground. But I've got to keep at it. I've got to keep doing it. And, and, and so endurance. Now, notice the word endurance on the screen. That's a word that James uses over and over again. Endurance, endurance, endure. In fact, in the next verse, verse 4, he says, so let it grow. For when your endurance, when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. In other words, perfect doesn't mean sinlessly perfect. It means you'll be mature. You'll be well-rounded. When your endurance does the job, when you, when you continue at it, when you continue to let it work and, and you grow, you'll be a complete person. This endurance. You see, it'll make you stronger. Enduring troubles will not only make you stronger for you, it'll make you stronger for others. Aren't we thankful for those people who are strong, not just for themselves, they're strong for us? I'm thankful for the firefighters who train really hard to lift a lot of dead weight. Because if I ever collapse in a, in a burning building and, and smoke knocks me down and I, I can't get out, I hope that they're strong enough to deadlift me <laughs> and carry me out of that place so I can live. Thank goodness for people strong enough to do that. Right? Thank God for the soldiers who, when called upon to serve and protect, can go long distances and, and, and hustle and, and carry a lot of weight and go through strenuous situations and, and, and do it in, in a decent frame of mind because they went through boot camp and training and hard work. And I'm thankful for strong people who are there when we need people to be strong. And the thing about life is when things happen and when, look, don't miss the beginning. James said, when troubles come your way, no one's volunteering for troubles. They just come our way. But when they come your way, you have an opportunity, an opportunity to grow, to become stronger, have your endurance strengthened, and an opportunity for great joy. And when those troubles come your way, if you can find a way to let endurance do its job, you will be stronger for you and stronger for others. And all of us need people who are strong for us at times and people that need us to be strong for them at times. And that comes sometimes through enduring the troubles that come our way. God never allows a problem without a purpose. Or if I can say it this way, there's never a burden without a benefit. Never a burden without a benefit. So James is saying, he's like, hey guys, uh, troubles came your way. Yeah, I didn't want them, but they came anyhow. Well, consider an opportunity for great joy. You're going to grow. <laughs> You're going stronger. What? There's never a burden without a benefit. There's never a problem without a purpose. There's a, never an obstacle without an opportunity. And that's what we need to realize. That's what James is saying to his audience. Don't look at this thing as if God's not faithful. Look at it as God's doing something in your life. Troubles are an opportunity. They have a chance to be a tool if used properly. But here's the crazy part. Like, I don't know how to use them. I don't know how to use my troubles for an opportunity. Like, what opportunity do, do my troubles bring? Like, what good, is it, what good are my problems doing me? If you're getting problems today, you might be saying, that's cute talk, Arlen, but that doesn't help me. I, well, I don't know what to do. But God does. Let me go back to the weight illustration. You walk into the gym tomorrow, and you, if you've never been there before, you might look at all those machines and say, what are these horrible machines and how do they work? These medieval torture devices that someone put in here. What is this place, you know? And you walk in and you're like, I don't know what to do and I don't even know how to lift weights. 
But thankfully, there's usually some staff or trainers around to help you. So true story from Michelle and me years ago, we, we got a membership over here at Anytime Fitness before there was one in Cedar Lake. And we went in there, we we're working out one day, and, and Phil Needler, who actually uh, was in rotation to lead worship today, both services, Phil um, was working as a trainer. And Phil did not go to our church at the time, but he was working out there. We knew each other. And I'm working out in the gym. And at some point, he comes over to Michelle and me. And I think I was doing some kind of a tricep workout or something at the time. And he says, hey, I see you're working on your triceps, huh? I'm like, yeah. He goes, that's good, that's good. He says, so, um, let me show you something that will help you target that properly. And he says, because what you're doing, you know, there's a better way. And you don't want to harm you. You actually hurt yourself if you do it wrong. But if you focus it the right way, you'll get maximum benefit. I'm like, and I tried to do what he showed me to do, and I, I couldn't lift as much anymore. He's like, that's because you're lifting it right. So lower your weight amount, learn to lift it right, and add weight later. Oh. What he was trying to nicely say to me is, you're doing it all wrong, idiot. But he was nicer than that. And he helped me. I didn't know, you know. And so we actually hired him to be a trainer for a while. Smart, smart on his part right there, isn't it? Uh, to, uh, to, to show us how to, how to the, because we needed someone who knew what to do how to use that torture device called a workout machine, how to do the things that we're supposed to do. And he, he showed us because someone who knew what we didn't know. For some of us, that's our burdens. We have burdens. And we're like, I don't know what to do. God says it's an opportunity. James says it's, a, it's an opportunity for something in my life, but how? And the very next verse of James, he tells us what to do. Turn to the trainer. He says in verse 5, if you need wisdom... That's what we need when we're going through trials, don't we? We need some wisdom. Like, how do I face this trial? How do I go through? I don't know what to do with this burden. How do I make it? How do I, how do I take it as an opportunity? How do I get through this? If you need wisdom to carry that weight, to take that burden, to handle that trouble, ask our generous God. I love that. See, most of us have seen this verse a hundred times in our life and just in an independent context. But in context here, James is saying, if you need wisdom, ask God. He's referring to asking him for help when you are in trouble. We don't know what to do. Like going to the trainer. And he says, ask our generous God. I love that, generous. Not ask our grumpy God, ask our curmudgeon God, ask our get off my lawn, you little, look what you did, you little jerk God. No, ask our generous God. And he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. God's like, oh, you need some, you need some help. You need to figure out how to, how to use this trouble in your life and how to, how to carry this weight properly and, and let yourself become stronger. Oh, let, let me help you through this trouble that has come your way. Need wisdom? Ask God. Ask the trainer. Ask the one who knows what to do when you don't know what to do. But he's not done. In verse 6 he says this, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. We're going to come back to that in a moment here because the next couple of verses are a lot of words that almost seem confusing. Like I used to read these next couple of verses and say, what in the world? So don't miss that first phrase. When you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Verse 7, he says this, such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. There's no benefit in that. Verse 8, their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. 
Now, what do those verses have to do with asking wisdom and going through troubles? It's almost like a lot of thoughts in there. But don't miss the simple thought. He's saying don't have divided loyalty in how you handle your troubles and where you turn to for help. Don't have your loyalty divided because you'll be unstable, you'll get no benefit. Or as he said back in verse number six, when he said, uh, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Now, what does that mean? It means this. Suppose I go to the gym and I don't know how to do the machines or the weights, and so I ask trainer Phil, and he shows me the right way, shows me how to get strong. But a little while later, I see my friend Chester over there, and Chester's like, oh, hey, oh, no, I got a different plan. Don't listen to that. Here, this is, this is better. Oh, that's what all trainers say that, but I, I once read an article on the, on the internet, and this is, a, this is what I do. Now, Chester's the same guy who, like, eats a bag of Cheetos while walking slowly on the treadmill and thinks he's going to get ahead, you know? But, you know, he's like, no, trust me, you know, these guys all tell you that, but they're just trying to sell you something. Listen to me. And I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to take what the trainer says and what Chester says and kind of mix them together, throw my own ideas in there, and maybe you'll get the same product. That's what he's talking about here. Anthony and I were talking about this earlier. We both have a, a mutual friend who, uh, who does this with dieting. It's hilarious. For years, does this with dieting. Like, he starts, he goes, I want to lose the weight. So he starts a diet. He finds some diet that someone lost a lot of weight, some program that worked for people, and he, he takes it and he uses it, but then a, about a week or so in, he's like, man, this is hard. I miss eating certain things or whatever. So then they're like, you know what? And then they hear somebody else say, well, we do this. And so he begins to mix and match his diet plan. Like, I'm going to borrow from this diet plan and put it into this diet plan. And my own ideas about how it should work, I'm going to kind of put those ideas in there and modify it. And then it doesn't work. And you know what he does in the end? He blames the diet. He's like, the diet doesn't work. How do you know? You didn't even follow the diet, man. You did your own thing. You did your modified version. Don't blame the diet for your modified version. But he blames it. He's like, see, I tried that. It didn't work. It may not have worked, but how would you know? You know? It's like going to the gym, and I'm like, trainer Phil says, do do this, and you'll get strong like me. And then my friend Chester's like, oh, I read this on the internet, and drew this over here, and and, and I'm going to, and then I'm over here saying, well, you know, I've always thought. And then a few months later, I'm like, hey, I don't look as good as I hoped to. I don't look like trainer Phil. You know what? He's full of, of, of prunes. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Right? Like, because it didn't work. Well, how would I know if it didn't work? I didn't do what he said. I modified it. See, what happens is we, 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 we do this with God all the time. We're like, God, I'm going through troubles. What do I do? God says, ask me for wisdom, and I'll give it to you. I'm generous. But put your faith in me alone. We're like, okay, God, but you know what? I'm kind of bored of that, and my friends over here tell me that that's just silly, and I shouldn't bother with all that, and I need to do this for myself instead. And, you know, I'm listening to them and you and kind of listen to myself, and I'm going to kind of modify what you said to do, God, and kind of put, my, put the whole thing together my way. And then when it doesn't turn out the way I want it to, what do I do? I blame God. Like, I tried following God. That didn't work. Really? Did I really follow God, or did I kind of give God a divided loyalty, a mixed plan? His wisdom kind of mixed with worldly wisdom, and God tells me, plus what culture tells me, plus what I tell myself, and maybe somehow that's all going to work out, that hodgepodge of, of advice. And, and James says, look, ask God for wisdom, but put your faith in him alone. Don't let your divided loyalty confuse you. If you go to the gym, before you start listening to Chester modify trainer Phil's workout plan, look at both of them and ask yourself one important question. Who do you want to look like next year? Do you want to look like trainer Phil or do you want to look like Chester? 
And, and sometimes you look at people around you who are giving you all sorts of advice and look at culture and say, do I want that? Do I look like my heavenly father? Do I want to look like my savior? God says, I'll help you, but you turn to me. Interesting, isn't it? Well, then James does something in verse 9 that's going to seem weird. It almost seems like James is changing the subject, but he's not. I'm warning you now, it's going to feel like I'm changing the subject, but he's not. Because he's going to talk about how that rich people and poor people both go through troubles and trials and testings. No matter how much money you look, money doesn't insulate you from troubles, right? Like some of us are more rich than others. Right? Absolutely. Some of us are wealthier and we have more than others. And, and if you're not rich, you don't understand that. Maybe you are. Like, like uh, Keith back here, he's rich. Filthy rich. He, in fact, if you want someone to buy you dinner afterwards today, uh, he'll be able to take you out anywhere you want to go because he, he's wealthy. He says so much, it falls out of his pockets. And, no, he doesn't. But here's the thing. Rich people, not rich, and poor people, they both go through troubles, don't they? Here's what I want to say to you. It doesn't matter. The problems are just different. Poor people, their problem is they don't have anything. The burden of rich people is they have to worry over their wealth. They have to worry over their wealth. And they still have relationship problems. And they still have, I can't tell you how many people with money need therapy, are in therapy or should be in therapy, have addictions, have rough relationships, and they're try, they think if I lose, if, if, if this falls apart on me, I'm going to bury. They, they, they have so much to carry. And they think this should have made me happy. I have all the things that should make me happy. I'm still not happy. And if I lose the juggling act, it's all going to crash. Listen, both sides have troubles. And I know what some of us think if we're poor. We're like, well, I'd like to have that problem. I'd like to give it a try. See if I can do better than most people have done with their stuff. But I'm here to tell you, it's not a solving for anything. Troubles still come. And so James talks to the poor and the rich about dealing with troubles. In verse 9, he says this. Believers who are poor have something to boast about. For God has honored them. Doesn't that seem weird to say? Like God has honored them? They're poor. But it's true. Read your Bible and Jesus talks so many times about like he honors the poor like the rich man and Lazarus or other people where he exalts it. And, and in the end, the situation is reversed. In the end, it's all different. God brags on people like the poor widow who put in her, her two mites into the, into the treasury. I mean, God's always honoring the poor. And there's just something about that that's true. So, I mentioned this earlier about how that troubles bring us the opportunity of great joy. Weirdest thing. I can't explain it to you, but I've lived it. Um, I remember when, if you've ever traveled out of our country, if you've ever traveled to a third world, or I should say that's the unkind way, the underdeveloped nation. If you've been to an underdeveloped nation um, and seen po true poverty, um, it, it's shocking. I have heard the stories of people living in poverty, but I never really, I mean, you hear this in the cities, I've seen homeless, but I've never seen so many people just in, in poverty. And I took a couple trips to the Philippines um, through the years. And the first time we went as a family and with a couple friends, I remember walking through, we were five hours from Manila, and I'm walking through this just poor area. I mean, I'm walking through this dirt path that led me on the side of the little pathway to another dirt trail that led me into this house with a dirt floor continuing with kind of a roof that mostly worked, I think. And through that one, I walked literally through that one to the next one. People had to go through people's houses to get to their place they, they stayed at. Just the squalor was just, it was jarring. You can't talk about it or even see videos on TV with, and, and get it until you see it. 
And it was just so shocking. A few hours of doing that, we came back to the church that was doing work in that area and were gathered for a Wednesday night service. And people from those very, quote-unquote, houses, dwellings, poured out and came to the service, young and old. And I'm watching them, and I'm just, I'm honestly, I'm just, I can't explain it to you, I'm shocked. I'm literally just like shocked at what I saw and how they lived. And they're walking into church, and they're singing praises, and they're worshiping God, and they have a smile from ear to ear, and they're so happy. And I remember looking over at my friend Ted, and we both looked at each other, and we just had tears running down our face. And I thought, how can these people be so happy when they have so nothing? And I know so many people with so much more who are perfectly miserable. How does that work? Where does that great joy come from? I don't understand it. But, but, but James says, look, believers, and you're poor, you've, you've got something to brag about. You've learned that you don't learn to trust in the wrong things. You've not learned to put your faith in the wrong things. You've learned to depend on God. Your faith is stronger, and God has actually honored you. And then he says to the rich in verse 10, he says, um, those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. One day it's all gone anyhow. And he says, God humbles us. See, when we're rich, we have so much. And Jesus says, I'm call, Jesus calls us to humility. One way or another. <laughs> and humility is a gift. But it's difficult for, for rich people to be humble. By the way, can I say this? We're rich people. I know that we don't feel rich because in America, we live in a develop, developed nation, and we know people who are richer than us, so compared to them, we feel poor. But while we're hating on the one percenters around us, we have to understand we are all like the top three percenters of the global eight million, billion people in the population of the world. All of us are the like top three or better percenters everywhere. I mean, we're just, we are wealthy globally. But we don't see that. We see the person who has more, so we feel poor. But we're rich. And the problem with being rich is it's hard to be humble. It's hard to trust in God. It's hard to take troubles very well. You know, because we have so much. It's like our health. You know, even, forget, you know, forget just this. Even in this nation, 400 years ago, in this land, it was common for people everywhere. If kids, little girls played with dolls and made little houses for toys. Most of them had little toy caskets. Did you know that? For common thing, they had little toy caskets in their doll set. Because it was so common to bury a sibling or a family member that died because mortality rate was so bad. It was just normal. It was part of your, what you did. Oh, let's go play house and eat and this and bury our kid. I mean, it's just, that's just a life. And we, the mortality rate is so low compared to what it used to be. We live so much healthier and longer that when we have health problems, we think like, man, God isn't good to me. And we have so much, and, and we're so much better off than people in the world. And it's hard to be humble when we're, when we're rich. That's why Jesus once said it's easier for the, a, a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. What does that mean? I, he, I'm not trying to dive into all of that, but I know this. It's hard to have faith in God and trust God when we can trust in our self-sufficiency. And God says when the rich go through hard things and troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity. God's humbling you. God's showing you to put your faith in him. He goes on in verse number um, uh, 11. He says, the hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. In the end, everything goes. In the end, it's all, our, money's, our health is gone anyhow. Our possessions belong to somebody else anyhow. 
If that's all we have to live for, that's all going away anyhow. And in the meantime, when we feel like yeah, but it's, it's hard and God's not good, and I'm not so sure how I believe about him because my life's not perfect, people who are living in poverty in many cases have strong faith. And the crazy part is, we say, but I have health problems, and so do they. But in many cases, they, are, they have health problems, and they're poor, and they have no access to good medical care. And we have relationship problems, but so do they, and they are in poverty. And we have these problems. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, their problems are exacerbated by their poverty. And, and when we have problems, let's not turn against, let's not abandon our faith when our faith is tested. Let's let our troubles be an opportunity for great joy. Whew. An opportunity to grow for our endurance. Because that's the point. In fact, in the last verse we'll see today is verse 12. James says this, God blesses those. Don't you want the blessings that God brings? God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Those words are very important together, patiently and endure. Here's why. Patiently, we sometimes think of enduring as just waiting, but, but enduring is more than waiting. Patiently is waiting. Enduring is doing the next thing. It's doing right anyhow. It's pushing forward. Patiently enduring testing and temptation. God blesses those who do that. Afterwards, he says, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. What's interesting is, I know people who don't even believe, you know, maybe you don't even believe, maybe you don't believe in God, or you just struggle with your faith. But you would call this true principle, wouldn't you? Kind of like we believe in the universe and the great whoever is out, you know, the, the universe rewards people with karma, justice. Or that the world around us does this. Um, the world rewards people who endure. Yeah. The universe blesses those who hang in there. Yes. It's, it's God. God blesses those. That's, that's, who's, that's the, who's, who's doing it all. Who, all things can by him and of him. And, and that's who's doing it. God blesses those. There's a blessing in life for those who patiently endure the troubles, the testings, the trials, the temptations. Afterwards, the blessing comes. After each burden and eventually after all the burdens, there is a blessing on the other end. But the reward only comes later. It's not always fun in the middle of it. But later when you're stronger, later when you're able to, to do something that needs to be done that you couldn't have done otherwise, later, when you're strong enough to carry a burden that comes later, when you're able to help somebody through their hard time, when you're able to find purpose, when you're able to experience joy that you never imagined was possible, later, you'll say, man, I thought I needed a problem-free life to be blessed. Turns out in my troubles, God has blessed me. I've experienced joy I can't even explain. I've enjoyed the riches of life I can't even explain. How is that possible? Because God has blessed and God has honored those who take the opportunity of the troubles that come their way to grow. I'm going to close with a story. Um, there's a man whose life is fascinating. His name is Chris Gardner. Recently, my, Michelle and I watched a movie about his life. It was called The Pursuit of Happiness. I don't know if you've ever seen The Pursuit of Happiness, but you ought to watch it. It's a good, it's a drama, it's, but it's, it's tense because of the guy, it's, this guy's life. It's based upon the life of Chris Gardner. The movie is played by Will Smith, and actually his son, Jaden Smith, co-starred with him. It's actually the father and son played father and son in the movie. And Will Smith plays Chris Gardner, a man who 
they, they, they exaggerated and embellished some things to make the movie more exciting a little bit. But in a lot of ways, they undersold his trials. Because really, his, it wasn't a little one-hour movie. It was a lifelong journey. Chris Gardner's whole life, he was a boy when his dad left him. And his mom married another man, his stepdad. His stepdad abused him and abused his mom. And he grew up with abuse. And later on, his mom decided she had enough. So she tries to light their house on fire or, and, or trailer on fire and burn and kill his stepfather to rid them of the problem. And the guy didn't die, but I think he, he did get the message and he was gone. <laughs> and she went to prison. And now he's lost his mom and dad. And now he's living with uncles. He moves a little west and he's living with uncles. And one of his uncles becomes a father figure to him. But his uncle, who's a father figure to him, is swimming in the Mississippi River and drowns. So he's, at, he's at, his, at the funeral for his uncle, and his mom shows up with a prison guard because she's in prison, and he realizes his mom's in jail. He didn't understand that before. And he gets through his growing up years, and he becomes a Navy. He joins the Navy, and through the Navy, he gets some training, and he gets a career and falls in love, and he's out of the Navy. He's working, but he decides that he can't get ahead without starting his own business. So Chris Gardner decides, I'm going to start my own business. And, and the idea was medical technology was improving. So he went and spent every penny they had, every bit of, his, of him and his, his, his girlfriend's fortune. They had a baby together. Every penny they had he spent on um, bone density scanners. <laughs> Filled his house. All the money was gone. He's going to sell these. But this is the early 1980s. And you know how the economy was in the early 1980s. It wasn't pretty. And he couldn't get sold, and, and things were hard, and he was just desperate. And, and, and she, at one point, she leaves him and takes her son. At one point, he's in trouble, and he's actually uh, trying to make a difference, and he's thrown in jail for 10 days for unpaid parking tickets, and then she's gone with her son. And then she goes back and drops him off and says, I don't want him. I can't do it. She leaves, and he's got a kid, and he's trying to make ends meet. And one day, he's walking down the road, and he sees a man in a sports car, and he says, man, I want your job. And the guy says, well, I'm a stockbroker, and he points to Dean Witter. And he says, oh. And so he walks in and says, I want a job. And they said, well, you can apply for an internship. And he was lucky enough to be one of a handful of people selected to even be a part of the internship. It took a lot of work to even get that far. But they said that you'll work for free for a year. <laughs> you're welcome. Make us a lot of money. And if you're lucky, one or two of you might get a chance to work for a real company afterwards. Otherwise, it was just a, it's over. And he's sitting there working ridiculous hours trying to catch up with people who are training. He's a smart guy with numbers, and he, he works hard that whole year. And his, he's raising a toddler, and he's broken. At one point, he's, he's just in trouble. And everything's going wrong. He's, he's homeless. They become homeless for a period of time. He's selling those bone density scanners that he has left after, after all day on the floor trying to figure out how to do this internship. Sells those to pay their bills, and half the time it's not enough. They're living in churches. They're living in shelters. One time he sleeps in a bathroom in a subway with his little toddler for a year, going to work in a suit, trying to look like he's got it all together, and being homeless. And when you read the story or you watch the film even, you watch him, he makes a little breakthrough, aha, and then two steps back, and then a little light at the end of the tunnel, and then it's taken away. And it's such an emotionally draining experience to watch this guy fight and fight and fight. And the inter internship finishes, and at the end of the internship, he gets a job with a stock brokerage. And five years later in Chicago, Illinois, he moves from uh, San Francisco to Chicago, starts a stock brokerage of his own, his own firm in 1987. And in the early 2000s, he sells it for multi-million dollars. 
starts the foundation of his own, begins to be not only a businessman, but an entrepreneur, a, a, a speaker, a public speaker, and begins to use his wealth to help people who were once where he was at, getting out of homelessness or out of poverty and getting a start so they can change their life around and make the world a better place. Man, I read that story. I watched that film. I was so inspired. It made me, made me just want to go off and just, just hang in there and do something and, and do or not just, not just wait, but do something while we're waiting. And it reminds me when I grew up, there was a Heinz ketchup commercial. They used to always say, the good things come to those who wait. But I don't think that was, it was a cute slogan for ketchup, but it was not totally true. It's not just waiting, it's enduring while you, it's doing what you can while you're waiting. I think the statement I want to leave with you today that James is trying to drive home is this, that good things come to those who persevere. Good things come to those who hang in there. Good things come to those who press on. Good things come to those who, who take the opportunity of the troubles that come their way. And they consider it an opportunity for great joy. Good things come to those who let it grow them. Who let it cause them to endure and become stronger. Who press on. Good things come to those who persevere. And you know this in life. The people, the, people, the stories you admire the most in this world are people who didn't have a cakewalk. People you admire the most, people who inspire you the most, the great stories are those who struggled and fought and made it through. And we love that. But we don't want that for ourselves. We want the cakewalk. But I want to say when troubles come your way, because they're going to come your way, don't despair and don't lose faith. When it's tested, endure. The good things come to those who persevere. Our endurance helps others along the way. It blesses us. And it will bless the world around us. If we'll take James' advice to heart, 2,000 years later, that's so relevant still. It's an opportunity. Let's trust God. Let's turn to him for our wisdom. Not to the world, not to divided attention. Let's, tr let's turn to God. Ask in faith and follow him and patiently endure what happens to us so that we can experience the opportunity for great joy and the good things that come to those who persevere.